Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, it's me, Amara. Welcome to the Translash Podcast, a show where we tell trans stories to save trans lives. Well, next week is New York Fashion Week, where some of the world's leading designers will show us what's next. But our community has a very strange relationship to the fashion community. On the one hand, we have helped to shape the designs and the images that make what we know as fashion, but have often been excluded Nothing shows this more than the history of the ballroom scene, which is modeled after fashion, has shaped fashion, but where many of those people for decades were left out and left behind. But one of the most enduring elements of Fashion Week are the images, of the photography, because let's face it, most of us won't be under those white tents that will dot New York City. And so what we know about Fashion Week will come from its representation. So what does it mean to be a trans person capturing images of models, of the fashions, and of famous people which are so tied to Fashion Week? So to explore all of this, we will be talking to two standout trans fashion photographers. First, I'll talk with visual narrator Texas Isaiah about his work to continue building on the archive of trans images, ranging from stars to everyday people. I try my best to meditate on the importance of all of the work that we're doing now and not simply just for this singular moment, but also what it would mean 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Because everything that we're doing is legacy work. Next, I'm joined by fashion photographer Leah Clay Miller, who shares her experience of shooting cover photos for some of the country's top magazines. I think I literally texted um, one of the photo directors and I was like, am I the first trans woman to do this? And they were like, we don't know. And then they kind of looked into it and it was like this moment of like, oh, wow, this is the first moment that this has happened. But before we get to these incredible conversations, let's start out, as always, with some trans joy. Portrait photography is one powerful way that trans people have taken control of the representation of our lives and bodies. Jess T. Dugan is an award-winning artist who's done just that by exploring gender and sexual identity in their photography practice for decades. Jess's incredible body of work includes To Survive on This Shore, photographs and interviews with transgender and gender non-conforming older adults, which is available as a book. They've also worked on many other notable projects, including a series of self-portraits taken with their mother over the course of 19 years. Jess is the recipient of many prestigious awards, including being named by the Obama White House as an LGBT artist champion of change. Here they are to tell us more about the special kind of intimacy created during their photo shoots. When I ask someone to pose for a portrait, it's coming from this place of almost reverence or interest or being curious what will happen when we go to this emotional space together. I have very simple equipment relatively. I have a camera on a tripod and I use natural light and I use slow shutter speeds. And my process of making a portrait often takes up to two hours sometimes. So it's this very slow, deliberate looking and speaking back and forth with the person that I'm photographing. And we really find the picture together and we work our way into the picture together. The process of making pictures is for me very intimate and very emotional. And it's also the way that I 
am able to connect with people on a deeper level than I'm generally able to do in you know, daily life when you haven't set aside this period of time where you're both really willing and interested to make and have this experience together. Just T. Dugan, you are trans joy. I'm so glad to be chatting with award-winning visual narrator and photographer, Texas Isaiah. Texas Isaiah is a prolific artist whose work has been featured in publications like the New York Times and Art Forum, as well as in galleries and touring art exhibitions across the world. He became the first trans photographer to shoot a cover image for any edition of Vogue in 2020, He's also photographed celebrities like Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union Wade for the cover of Time, as well as Lena Waithe and Lil Nas X for the cover of Entertainment Weekly. In all of their work, Texas Isaiah brings a commitment to building systems of care and using photography as a mechanism for healing and self-actualization. The importance of their work was recognized with a 2018 grant from Art Matters, as well as a 2019 Getty Images Where We Stand Creative Bursary grant. He was also a 2020 artist in residency at the Studio Museum in Harlem and a finalist for the 2022 Artadia Los Angeles Award. Texas Isaiah, thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. That's an incredible body of work. And I am wondering when you knew or had a sense that your vision was different from other people, because that's ultimately what photographies bring that's distinctive. When did you have a sense that you saw people and the world differently? I would have to say it was when I stumbled onto the discovery that I may be trans. And, you know, that time period was interesting because that is the time period that the media coins as the trans tipping point. So it was when Laverne was on the cover of Time, which was a major inspiration and made me question my own presence within the photographic canon and made me question what would it look like for Black trans people you know, to be continuously imaged within the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years and how important it is for us to sort of be a part of that archival. And so I feel that was when it really began where I was like, okay, all right, I'm stepping into myself. I'm making all of these decisions in my life for myself. I'm centering myself for the first time ever. And so, you know, how am I going to exist in the world from this point on? That's a really fascinating answer because what it reveals is that when you discovered yourself, you discovered that you had this ability and this vision. I've never heard anyone articulate that before. You know, I'm a firm believer that everybody in the world is one of one. (laughs) So, you know, there's no one that can do the work that you do, right? You're the one to hold that. But it doesn't mean that you're the only one doing the work. Right. And I think it was extremely important for me to center that aspect for myself because although that was what, like eight, nine years ago, my math may be a little off, I wasn't certain about how my life would pan out. I'm grateful that my parents, you know, still continue to love me because that is their job. (laughs) And I definitely lost friends and lost work and had a, a major loss with people exiting my life because they didn't have the capaciousness to hold me. And it is a time that I always hold very close to my heart because I'm certain that we can all like think back in our lives, that one moment where we were like, wow, this is what I want to do. And this is how I want to exist in the world. And so because you have nothing to lose because of the world that we live in, that is so shaped and held by capitalism and anti-Blackness and transphobia, you know, I just kind of was like, 
I was like, fuck it. <laughs> Why not, right? <laughs> what is it that you see as a Black trans artist, as a Black trans photographer, of your cis subjects like the Wades that you don't think that you would see if you weren't Black and trans? I don't think I approach glamour or photography in the same way. And I don't, it, it is because I cannot, because of who I am. Because everything that shapes everything else in the world, that foundation and root was never created for Black people, let alone Black queer and trans people. And so thinking back about that session, well, one, I was nervous. <laughs> you know, that was a time when work started rolling in for a lot of Black artists. I remember being so nervous, but the session was so simplistic. And it only lasted for 15 minutes. And when I walked into that session, I thought about how much I wanted to make this process as easy as possible. Not only for me, but also for the Wades. What you just said there, you know, I can't approach or see glamour in the same way because I can't. That is a revolutionary statement, especially for someone who shot for Vogue. And in that, I really do think that you've cracked the code for what really makes your photography stand out. That one of the things that you do is that you help to peel back those layers that we layer on top of you know, any type of stylized photography or portraiture. I think that is, that's what you do. Thank you. Because, you know, when you're finding yourself in the beginning or the middle of a process of just doing anything, sometimes you don't really know what you are doing, <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And because we live in a world that doesn't allow us any space to slow down and to reflect, I try my best to meditate on the importance of all of the work that we're doing now and not simply just for this singular moment, but also what it would mean 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Because everything that we're doing is legacy work. I know that that can sound very heavy for some, and it is. It's a major responsibility but it shouldn't have been our responsibility, right? Because there were so many people before us who may have wanted to be artists, who may want to have been historians and archivists, gardeners, you can name it, but they were stripped of that agency. You know, it's kind of like I always say that we don't, we may not know the names of all of our ancestors, but we definitely do feel their essence whenever we're walking into our truth. And so although when I am in the process of, of creating something either by myself or with the sitters who are sometimes, most of the time, friends, family, you know, I don't think so much about, like, I guess the impact of what I'm doing, but what the impact could look like, you know, 50 years from now, if that makes sense. Yeah, sitters are your subjects. <laughs> so, so that people are on there like, sitters? Babysitters? No, no. Um, they're subjects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the things that I thought about, and it's wild that our conversation has ended up there, but I was thinking about your body of work within the context of the pictures that we use to ground ourselves in the Harlem Renaissance, the pictures that we use right now to capture what the freedom struggle and post-freedom celebrationary periods looked like in the 60s and in the 70s, like the references of those pictures that we use, um, the types of pictures for Ebony and Jet, the large body of work of post-colonial African photographers from Senegal and Ghana and Nigeria that are also extremely important in terms of giving us a different vision for ourselves. And I think that your work is right alongside. And I was going to ask you if you thought that that was the case, but you do. 
there is an intention in the images that you're capturing to be that reference point for this period in time. Absolutely. That for me really came across when I saw your work in the Saatchi in London um, as a part of their new Black Vanguard exhibit. And specifically the picture that you had captured of Fatima, which was a part of that exhibit. And I texted you right after that. And I was like, I just saw this and it was so amazing. And it was in the context of all of the type of photography that I'm just describing, right? Because they used reference points for this is what how we're capturing this moment and this is how this moment was captured in the past and other similar parallel moments. But what really stood out is that for the first time, I was seeing a work of a Black trans person capturing a Black trans person in this formalized space. And of course, I've seen your work a lot and in magazines, but there was something about it being in this museum that marked for me that what you're doing is really breaking through. And I'm wondering, do you have that sense in yourself? I mean, so many times we're just caught up in the work, or I feel this way, like I'm just caught up in the work, I'm doing the work, I'm not really thinking about the impact or the other aspects of that. But you described what your intention was in your work, but do you understand or have glimpses sometimes into its actual impact or that what you're doing is coming through? I believe it comes up when I am in conversation with people that I'm collaborating with because the impact for them is a little bit more immediate. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'll give an example. I just installed an altar and an image at the Baltimore Museum of Art for a show. It's called The Culture, Hip Hop and Contemporary Art in the 21st Century. And I have an image of Miss Boogie. And from my knowledge, we are the only two Black trans artists who are in the show. But, you know, as I was creating the altar, I don't think it, the experience or the, the impact hit me until she saw her own image in that space. You know, it's different for me as somebody who travels throughout those spaces, but mostly what I'm trying to do is always walk into that space with a sense of protection. When you're navigating all of those work and bureaucratic systems as you're just trying to just simply make art. And so I feel like I'm sometimes on autopilot, right? But it wasn't until she walked in and saw herself, you know, an image that we created together in 2021, which was our first session ever. She's one of like my my favorite collaborators, but it didn't hit me until, yeah, she saw her image and she was overcome. She was reclent, you know, with a lot of emotion. And those are the moments where I'm understanding, you know, practically understanding the impact of what this all means. And it's always through the people that I am imaging, the people that I am creating images with. That's not uncommon for it to come to us through the eyes of other people, because we're only seeing it through our own eyes all the time. I understand that. What is the favorite image that you've ever taken of yourself? Okay, I'm going to pick two images. The first one was a self-portrait that I used for a project that I created in 2016 called My Name is My Name. And it's an image of me sitting on the floor. I had a lot of hair around this time, but there's this large plant that is hanging over me. And to the right is a file cabinet with another plant on top of it. And I would say that is my favorite image because it was one of the first intentional images, you know, that I took of myself to add to my portfolio and never thought that a project would blossom out of that. And so it was the beginning of 
encountering what my presence and existence would look like within the photographic canon. That was extremely significant. And I would say that the second image, I believe it was like at the end of 2018, it's me, my back is towards the camera and I'm facing the wall and there's, um, I feel like the, the wall color is kind of green, yellowish, and then there's a shadow on the wall itself to the right of me. And that was in dedication to an artist that I had just collaborated with for his biennial exhibition at Made in LA at Hammer Museum here in Los Angeles. And I would say that those two images are in conversation with each other in different ways and also in similar ways. But, you know, I'm nude in both of those images. And I think what's really interesting is that nobody can tell it's me. (laughs) And I love how um, ambiguous I tend to show up in my images because I think it correlates to the way that I see myself in terms of fluidity each day, where language doesn't completely, it doesn't shape who I am because language is so limited. You know, I can use these terms that are helpful, you know, for us to create community with each other, for us to create community within ourselves, but language feels so limited. And so those images sort of showcase the spiritual essence of like how I see myself, nude, (laughs) not being bothered, liberated, but also choosing not to be visible in a conventional way. And I would say those are my two favorite images. This is a really great question because I don't feel like anybody has ever asked me that before. Yeah, you're describing expansiveness, right? Like that's what you're excites you about the images that you've captured of yourself. So interesting that photography, even for photographers, can shape the way that you all see yourselves. Yeah, I think, you know, to image myself informs how I am able to image other people as well. Because it breaks down this power dynamic that people often project on photography or on like photographers and sitters. It's made to believe that The photographer has control over a lot of things. And for me, it doesn't really work that way. And so part of imaging myself is to also realize that my own tension with beauty standards, right? And all of these things that I do talk to a lot of the sitters that I work with about, even if they are imaged a lot, you know, there's still so much that is unearthed when you are being imaged and also when you do see your images and your relationship to your images change, you know, after a certain amount of time and they continue to, which is to me so beautiful to be able to confront yourself over and over again. But I think it helps me deal with my own stuff. It makes me a lot more empathetic and grounded and more at eye level with sitters that I'm working with. Lastly, what is something that you're burning to do in photography that you haven't done? Of course, we don't want a specific idea because your ideas are are your life. But if there's kind of a medium or places or as general as uh, you want to be, but as specific as you can be to give us an idea without revealing kind of the core of what you're trying to do, what are you burning to do that you haven't done with photography? I can name all of these like accomplishments that I may desire to see. You know, I'm not so hung up on the expectation of like my future, what it can look like, but I would say that I would love to travel the world and image queer, non-binary, trans people all over the world. I think that that would be really beautiful because most of my work is based in the States. And so I think traveling and, and being able to collaborate with other people around you know, how they'd wish to see themselves in the world would be really amazing. So world travel <laughs> and archive building with, with other people you know, would, be, would be great. 
Well, I think that we can all see that in your future. <laughs> I think that, that that's going to happen. And continuing to build your archive, both for us in real time and for the future, and not only here and around the world, the work that is to come. Just thank you so much for the courage of picking up the camera and of breaking molds in a space that always doesn't accommodate that and staying true to your vision. Thank you so much, Texas Isaiah. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And the same goes to you as well. I know that there's a lot of labor that goes into what you do and it's always appreciated. So I wanted to extend that to you as well. Thank you so much. That was Texas Isaiah, photographer and visionary. Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. It's great to be talking with portrait and fashion photographer Leah Clay Miller. Leah made history as the first trans woman to photograph a cover for Out magazine in 2019. She's photographed everyone from Hillary Clinton to Billy Porter and Lana Del Rey with her work appearing in outlets like The New York Times and Vanity Fair. Outside of these celebrity shoots, Leah's work is also a love letter to the trans community. She's currently working on a three-year project as the official photographer for the Stonewall National Visitor Center. Leah's work has been praised across the fashion and arts world, from a British Fashion Award for New Way Creatives to an American Photography Award. She was listed as one of Paper Magazine's Paper People of 2019 and was named a Zeitgeist in Creative Review. Leah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Leah, you said one of the first memories that you had with photography was picking up your grandmother's Minolta camera. And I'm wondering what it did for you and what you felt in picking up her camera for the first time. Honestly, it came from a place of stubbornness. My grandmother loved photography and her and my grandfather would go on these trips out west during the summer. And they would always bring back photographs from like a different world from what I grew up in. So it was always like this amazing fantasy land that was created through these like pictures. And I think I picked it up one day when I was like young and my grandmother was like, you're not going to figure it out. And I'm a very stubborn person. I was a very stubborn, resilient child. And so I kind of did it as an act to prove her wrong. And willingly, she kind of let me like play around with the camera and kind of, I think just as a child, especially growing up as like a queer child, I was like definitely like an isolationist. I spent a lot of time by myself, like outside in the yard, in the woods in North Carolina. And so it kind of gave me like this escape to my own to where like, I could create my own surroundings. I could focus on what I wanted to focus on. And I could kind of just like begin to understand the world around me a little bit. I imagine that that was not a point and shoot camera that this, it was a, it's one of the manual ones that you had to literally learn how to operate. And was that an easy process for you? And did she ultimately see that you proved her wrong in some way? For some reason, I just had this like intuition of how a camera worked in my head, even though I wasn't obviously technically trained at the time, but I kind of understood it. It did have like an automatic setting for lighting standards. So like I could do that without having to like actually like meter the light, but I did have to like learn how to focus and advance the shutter and like actually click the button, that kind of thing. My idea came from just like understanding how it worked and then kind of like going from there. And yes, I mean, ultimately... I think I started when I was like eight years old and I think I was probably in like middle school and we had like this assignment to like decorate like a book cover for one of our like textbooks. 
and I had like taken this photo of the mountains of North Carolina and it like kind of clicked with my parents then that like something was happening and like, oh, you're actually like doing something here. So it did take a very long time for my parents to like come around and not see it as just like a hobby. And then it just kind of stuck. It was kind of just like the thing that I did. I mean, I don't know how many Christmases, like I got rolls of film for Christmas and like random cameras and that kind of thing. So it was definitely something where it was picked up and acknowledged, thankfully, by my parents. And I just kind of kept doing it. I'm wondering as a queer kid and as you went along in your life and began to embrace your trans identity, I'm wondering what photography did for you. I mean, I've heard for some people, for people who are extremely shy, they've described that the camera is the way that they can connect to the world around them. What was your relationship with the camera and your queerness? It became like a friend when I was younger. I think around high school, I like transferred to a different school and like no one knew me or where I grew up or who I was. So I kind of had this like moment to recreate myself. And I think I had this like decision of like, okay, you're going to be social. You're going to like actually make friends. You're going to like kind of go out into the world. And like with that kind of evolved portraiture, because mostly before I was just taking pictures of like nature and landscape and that kind of thing. And definitely like it began my understanding of like my own femininity, I guess would be the right way to say that. Like it's like something I wasn't able to really like explore before, but I could because I started taking pictures of like my friends who are predominantly women Um, And I started forming an image of not just them, but myself through the lens kind of thing. And it became a thing of separation because it was still something that I was too scared to like admit to myself or it's like, okay, this is like my work. This isn't who I am. Yeah. It did the thing where like it helped, but it also like it pushed it further away, I guess, too, because I could have this moment of understanding something and like being a part of something without actually having to grasp the entirety of the story. I was put into therapy at a very young age for like gender identity related issues. I mean, back in the day, I was called uh, GID when I had that diagnosis on my paperwork. And my mother had a conversation with me when I was actually in high school where she was like, is this something we need to talk about? And I think my issue with it was like, I didn't want to have to deal with the world it existed in at the moment. And I was like about to go to college and I was like, I don't want to deal with this right now. So I thought it was this thing that I could keep putting off and it just finally caught up with me. <laughs> so, But photography was definitely something that helped alleviate that during the time. So you went to the Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah. Listeners won't know that there's also a... Mm-hmm. Atlanta campus, yes. And it seems as if the story that you're telling is that it was around that time that actually your transness was something that you could you know, in your words, no longer kind of pushed to the side, given all of the trauma I would imagine surrounding, you know, being in therapy for, quote, GID or whatever they they designated it at the time as. And I'm wondering what was the event or moment that made it something that you could no longer not engage in your own terms? A few months after I graduated from SCAD, I mean, there was definitely instances in art school where I started really playing around with like gender and expression and trying to understand what that looked like. But I mean, this is also like 2010 to 2013. And like, that was an era where like the visibility of trans people literally didn't really exist. I also came from a strong upbringing of like everything that was related to being trans was like a joke. It was a mockery. It was like something you saw on TV as like a gag reflex. So it's like, I had this like understanding of it. There was like this thing that I would never be able to like actually live out. So especially coming from the South and that kind of environment, there's not really like a huge understanding of it besides like it being like a a comic gig, which is what we've been for years before the current times. Mm -hmm. But it was actually after college and I wound up going to dinner with a friend who's really close friend growing up, um, Matt, and she was a trans woman. And there was this like realization that she had a fully formed life. She was like a fully formed person. She wasn't like just an afterthought or a side gig or something like that. And I think that like just image of her and the ability that she seemed so powerful and beautiful and like was able to like live her life in the way that she was living it just hit me so hard that I think within like literally a week, I was like calling my mother crying. Um, I remember the instance perfectly because I was staying in Hoboken, New Jersey at the time and working in the city. 
And I called my mom on the Port Authority bus from New York to Hoboken. I had a total breakdown and my mother just said, come home. She was like, she didn't want me in New York. I'm very grateful for She wanted me to be close to family when I was going through this. And I wound up moving back to North Carolina for two years. I actually lived with my grandmother at the time and began medically transitioning at that time as well. So, Well, I'm glad that you had family support. So many people aren't able to have that, but when, when you have it, it's crucial. It is really crucial. And I'm exceedingly lucky in that. My mother has been such a trooper. I think at this point, if I were to ever tell her that I was not a woman, I didn't want to be a woman anymore, she'd be more angry at me than the gets. Yeah. <laughs> She loves it, but... So you transitioned. Did you fear in transitioning that photography was something that you wouldn't be able to do? Absolutely. I was interning and working in the city, and, like, I remember even, like, the person I was working for, they had, like, reservations about it, like, having a trans woman working for them, you know? And it's just, like, it was the timing. It was kind of the place where... And, I mean, it was, like, something where I was, like, at the very, like, edges of society still whereas like it was peeping through like i think this is the time of like andrea pajak she was really prevalent at the time in the modeling industry so fashion was starting to kind of evolve towards that state of understanding gender diversity but it was still very much like not something that you see every day in media which we see more today but i don't i just had this resolve and i kind of actually put down photography for two years and kind of like had this moment of like okay this is something I need to focus on. I can't focus on photography right now. So I kind of resolved myself from it. I still took pictures here and there just to stay in practice. But like the majority of my life is like living in North Carolina and going through like socially transitioning, medically transitioning, trying to adapt that. Luckily I had a good group of friends there who just like were very like understanding and let me live out that life. And we got into so much trouble, but still besides the point, just let me like, get my oats basically. But yeah, I mean, I'm very thankful for that time. And then I think at the end of that, I kind of had this moment of like, oh, I've totally like left behind photography. I'm living in North Carolina. I have like no like understanding of what happens after this happens. And so I actually applied to grad school kind of like as a whim and got into grad school within like a week's notice and then moved back to New York a week later. In grad school, you returned to photography. I did, yes. I went to um, SVA and did their fashion photography master's program, um, which was a year-long program. But I think the initial like drive behind that was just to get out of North Carolina again and be like, I'm going back into this. How did being yourself change not only photography for you, but maybe your subjects or how you saw them? I had to kind of find it again. Like It was like my work was no longer like a reflection of this woman I was trying to make because I was the woman that I wanted to be. I mean, still figuring it out. I mean, we're always figuring it out, but I went to graduate program where we were still coming to terms with how trans people fit into media, how they fit into everyday life. And kind of, I think my initial thing was to change it from an industry that was very focused on like the model standard and only seeing like agency models and fashion models and like, I really wanted to start making like portraits of people that I just found beautiful and inspiring and like, which now today it sounds like something we do all the time, but back then it was like not something that we did in especially fashion work where it wasn't like just people that you met every day or stuff like that. So I started just photographing that and kind of pushing that kind of thing and really learning how to like see people outside my own perspective of myself, which I think every photographer should do. And it became more about the person I was photographing besides just my like own vision. It seems as a moment where these two things came together for you, kind of who you are and the gifts that you had, what you did in the world, was for the cover that you did for Out of Michaela J. Rodriguez. And so what did that feel like for you? Were you shocked? Were you surprised? It was so many firsts in that shoot for you, for her, for out. What was that experience like for you? I mean, honestly, at the moment, I didn't even realize that it was. I mean, I don't think any of us did really kind of thing. I mean, so much of my career has been going to something, not realizing that like I'm setting like a president or like who I'm shooting is setting a president. And it's just like, 
especially when it's like the girls, it's just like, you're just having a good time. You're trying to make the most like fabulous, beautiful images you can, because it's like, you're so like inspired by someone and you're having like so much like fun together. So honestly, in the moment, no, I had no idea like the weight of it or the understanding of it or any of that. I think I literally texted um, one of the photo directors and I was like, am I the first trans woman to do this? And they were like, we don't know. And then they kind of looked into it and it was like this moment of like, oh, wow, this is the first moment that this has happened. And like so much of like my like career is kind of like that, where it's like, I think in the moment you're just doing, it's not that you're just doing a job, but I mean, at some ways you are doing the job that you do. And I'm really not present thinking about like the other stuff that goes along with it because I think I'm so wound up in the moment and I'm so excited by like the work I get to do most of the time. Some of it is work. Some of it is exciting that I'm not really paying attention to like those kind of things because I think it would catch me up too much. Like a lot of my career is like kind of me just being like, yeah, this is what I do. And I think it's like a way for me to deal with not being like overwhelmed in a lot of ways. But I I am still very understanding of the importance behind it and like the weight that it has. There's something I have to grapple with a lot. You said that you want your work to be a love letter for the trans community when the subjects are trans, of course. What are you very cognizant of that you're doing with your photography of trans people that you think is so important? Especially like trans people first started coming into imagery and fashion and media. To, and I still see it. It's like the attempt to like pick at the things that make us trans and not make what make us human, I guess would be the way I would say that. And it's just like, you're trying to like make the things about us that are different, the thing that stands out the most. And I think like that could be very hurtful, especially if it's a photographer who doesn't understand like the nuances of being trans and how how in our head we're trying to be seen and how we see ourselves and like how we carry ourselves. And so like, I, I kind of saw images being used to represent us, but also contradict us as well. It's a thing that I still struggle with. I struggle with the idea of representation in media. I struggle with it as a concept in general, because it's like, at the end of the day, media is a business. It's not a safeguard for everything. Like media is not the answer to everything. And it's something where it's like, I think a lot of people think, oh, if we do like this photo story of trans people and have them talking about being trans and a media context is going to solve all our problems. It's not, it's never going to do that. And it does come with like a double-edged sword. It's like, it's not saying that trans people shouldn't be represented. They absolutely should. in the field that we're in, especially, especially in like media and movies and TV and television and magazines, like, and we should also be recognized for the, the things that we are responsible for like fashion culture society like that kind of thing but at the same time it's like it's not an answer for everything it's not something where it could resolve something it's not like anything but like a band-aid for these other problems that we have that are real problems that hurt us and like just as much as being seen is a good thing to help alleviate some of like other people's understanding of us it could be a negative thing as well and people could use it to like attack us and like that's kind of what's happening now it's where it's like it's a double-edged sword where we've had so much visibility in media and sometimes not for our benefit. And it's like used against us because of that. So I, I am very cognizant of like that and kind of like what place as a person who is in media and as a person who is trying to work in this industry and make work that's not hurtful, but helpful Like, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's really important to point out, I think everything that you said about visibility is on point. I also think it's really important for us to realize that the plans that the right wing had of making us um, a poster person for everything that's wrong in America actually started slightly before Laverne ever got on the cover of Time. So I think that we have to be careful to not give causality to things. Like, because we're visible, these things are happening. These things were kind of in the works even before we became visible. And at the same time, visibility is complicated in all of the ways that you that you said. That's totally true. And also the other thing is that, like, you're also trying to undermine the fundamental argument of those attacks that we're somehow different or less than by centering our humanity in what you shoot. It's actually subversive in a way, what you're doing. At the end of the day, like, this is 
what I do to survive. Like, it, like I can't get out of that. It's like my job. Like I do this to make money so I can survive. And so there's so many of these instances where like I have to weigh my responsibility as like an artist and a person and a human with like putting food on the table. And I think so many times, like especially in these like articles where it's like you can tell like the humanity is taken out of it. Like they are trying to like find someone to fit this description to make them look better, like these media outlets kind of thing, or make them look understanding or like they're not a part of the problem and they're just like using like hot topic words to like make this article happen. I think it's like the sad part is it's put against our survivability a lot media. It's like given to us in a way where it's like, Oh, we'll give you like a barely like livable paycheck. If you come do the show for us, you know, it's like paying performers in a way. And it's kind of like, it's hard to constantly have to go up against that without the sort of resources that we need. And it's like, I think it's so important for media to move beyond this like fascination where it's like we're the the shock factor of everything. Mm-hmm. Because like at the end of the day, like it it's sad, but like that's a lot of what the representation is. It's like a shock factor. And regardless of media is pointing it in a way that's like important or like it's like something they're trying to put emphasis on, that you could see the mind ticking behind it where it's like they're intentionally knowing this is going to get a reaction. They know that the people involved are going to be targets for something. And publicity doesn't fall, like the weight of that doesn't really fall on them. Like any publicity to them is good or bad. It's like a good thing. And it falls on us as a community and we have to straddle the weight of that. So always something. Every artist has a style. Every photographer has a signature language, whether it be light or composition or who they shoot. And what is a photograph that exists that you think encapsulates that um, in a way that you're proud of? Understanding there may be 40 of those or 50 of those, but what springs to mind and then why? So what is the photograph and why are you, why would you point people to that one? I'll approach this in kind of a, a little bit of a vigorous self and go as far as say what makes a photograph like work for me. Amazing. So generally, I mean, like I have a huge emphasis on technique just because of like, I have like so many years of doing this and just kind of like understanding, like understanding photography and its technique. And I mean, it is like a hobby of mine. It's something that I've always loved. It's something that I've always like cared about. And so like understanding the lighting, understanding a scale of like lights and darks and how that comes into play. I mean, all the things that make really good photographers and understanding like composition and where it falls in the frame and stuff like that. So when all of those things are kind of met in my brain and my formula of how a good photograph exists, of course, like that's a good image to me. I honestly, most of the time I get close to it, but I never get all the way to the finish line. There are a few scenarios where I do, and I love that image. But then it's also like images that can mean so much more than a face value of what is there kind of thing. I, this is something I've always loved about fashion imagery because it's always telling an like underlying story. I mean, a lot of times fashion images are things where it's like this entire concept. There's like planning behind it. There's so many references. I mean, a good photographer will know, like they'll see a photograph today and understand where it came from because there's like, hundreds of photographs that have been referenced over and over again to get to this point. And photography is always kind of like a reflection of culture and a reflection of society. And it's like very much a part of the time as much as it exists in and out of time. And I always think I've never really liked the idea that photography is truth. I think it's the complete opposite of that, but it is like a narrative that we're always telling. And I think when a photograph does a really good job of doing that and telling the narrative and explaining where we're at, that's when I really love a photograph. Well, thank you for telling our stories in a way that is affirming and in the form of love letters in the way that you shoot us and then the way that you extend that to other people who aren't trans. Just thank you so much for your work and for taking the time to talk today. Of course. It's actually funny when I photograph people who aren't trans because I always have to do like a little 180 in my head where I'm like, okay, like it's a different it's a different mm-hmm. thing sometimes. I have to get them to the level of understanding what it's like to be trans sometimes. Like even with like Lana, I just like it's like I have this like concept and idea and like all these like references and stuff and it's like she comes like very much as herself and you're like, "Oh, wait. 
this is different. <laughs> so. Not the same thing. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. If you need a portrait ever, call me, darling. Stand by. <laughs> Please, anytime. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was Leah Clay Miller, fashion photographer and visionary. Thank you for joining me on the Translash podcast. Now listen all the way through to the end of the show for something extra. Special thanks to Mountain Man Duke for giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Mountain Man Duke, what a great handle, says, I love this podcast. Great journalism, great host, great guest. Always makes my day when I know there's a new episode to listen to. Mountain Man Duke, thank you so much for your kind words. And if y'all other people who are not Mountain Man Duke want to help us drown out the trolls and the haters who are flooding our Apple Podcast reviews, make sure that you go on over to Apple Podcasts and leave your own five-star review. You might just hear it on the show like Mountain Man Duke. The Translash Podcast is produced by Translash Media. The Translash team includes Oliver Ash Klein and Aubrey Calloway. Sandra Adams is a contributing producer to the show and our sound engineer. Brennan Beckwith is our social media producer. Digital strategy is handled by Daniela Capistrano. The music you heard was composed by Ben Draghi and also courtesy of ZZK Records. The Translash podcast is made possible by the support of foundations and listeners like you. Well, what am I looking forward to? Well, first of all, it's Black History Month, which is just always a time of great learning. I don't know about y'all, but there's always something that I learn new about our history and including our community's history during Black History Month. So that's always a thrill for me. It's also going to be Valentine's Day, and I'm so excited about our Translash zine, which is going to focus on t for t love. So make sure that you check that out uh, this month. Um, so I hope that you will check it out, especially at a time when there's so much destruction and fear and recriminations and hate, uh, to have something that if you choose to get the physical copy by ordering online, um, that you can have that makes you feel good, that's all about people loving each other, that's a good thing. So that's what I'm looking forward to.